I have to thank my good friend and top fan, Ben Ellickson from Chicago, for the idea for this story. Thanks, Ben. Well, happy Halloween to all you wiretappers out there. I have a special Halloween edition here of Gangland Wire. We're going to talk about the haunting of the St. Valentine's Day massacre crime scene and the bricks that were in that wall where all those men were killed. Now, Chicago is a city that's filled with a history of crime, as any of you guys know that listen to this podcast at all or pay any attention to to mob history and, and mob news. But there's been little preservation of landmarks. Matter of fact, they say that the city of Chicago does not want to and dissuades people from making any kind of a landmark uh, where there was criminal activity. But the Lexington Hotel is gone. The Lexington Hotel, Al Capone kept the uh, uh, whole suite on the fifth floor, and he used that place as his headquarters. I think there was a, I think they drove by and filled the lower level with bullets at one time. So the most iconic building of them all, the building SMC Cartage Company, where the St. Valentine's Day Massacre once stood, is gone. Now, to recap, on St. Valentine's Day morning, 1929, four men, two of them wearing police uniforms, pulled up in front of the Clark Street building. They were driving a Cadillac touring car that had running boards on the side. It was similar to that used by police detectives at the time. All four ran into the long, narrow garage, and they surprised seven members or followers of the Moran gang and got a drop on them with Tommy guns and shotguns. They lined the seven men up against the north wall and told them to raise their hands above their head. The occupants of the building turned and faced the bricks with a minimum of protest. They were probably just thinking, well, just another police raid. They'll mess with us a little bit, and if they find anything, they'll take somebody off just to say they made an arrest. And then they'll leave, or maybe we can just buy them off. We can just pay them off. But then all of a sudden, the counterfeit cops, the two detectives and the two uniform guys, opened fire. As many as 100 rounds of ammunition were fired into the unsuspecting victims, and they collapsed into bloody heaps. And if you've ever seen any of those pictures, it was bloody. I mean, they were point blank, just a few feet away, with 12-gauge shotguns and uh, 45 caliber machine guns. It was unbelievable. Uh, then the two uniform cops, knowing that people on the outside might have heard the gunfire, took the other two plainclothes guys, acted like they were under arrest, and marched them out and put them in the Cadillac and drove off. Well, you know, this place, even though Chicago didn't really, as a government, they didn't want anything to do with the warehouse on Clark Street, but the place became a tourist attraction Irregardless, by 1949, the front portion of SMC Cartage had been turned into an antique furniture storage business by a couple who had no idea about the building's bloody past, even even though tourists would show up periodically and curiosity seekers, and, and actually there was more tourists and curiosity seekers than there was customers. They eventually closed the business in the early 50s. In 1967, the building was demolished after standing empty for quite a few years. There had been a Canadian businessman named George Patey from Vancouver, British Columbia, and he somehow had heard about that they were knocking down the SMC Cartage Company, the scene of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. He called Mayor Richard Daly, and Daly put him in touch with the National Wrecking Company, and he bought all the bricks that were in that wall. Mr. Patey had remembered the death car of Bonnie and Clyde over the 40s and 50s and 60s. 
and it became a valuable tourist attraction. Somebody had bought that bullet-riddled car, and they'd taken it around the country. I think it ended up in a it ended up in a Las Vegas, not a Las Vegas. It ended up in a casino, I think, out in Pahrump, somewhere out outside of Las Vegas, out in the country, and it's still there today. But he remembered that thousands and thousands of, of these curiosity seekers, these kind of people that like these macabre kind of artifacts, had plunked down good money just to look at the car and count the bullet holes and, and speculate as to what happened that day down in uh, Gibson, Louisiana. In 1973, that 1934 Ford had been sold for $175,000. Oh, here it is. It is displayed at Whiskey Pete's Hotel and Casino in Prim, Nevada, which is just on the Nevada-California state line. Well, Mr. Patey, after negotiating with the wrecking company, purchased all the bricks that made up the wall that the victims stood against. It was a section of wall that was 7.5 foot wide by 11 foot high. Uh, We don't know what the price was. After he purchased the bricks, the wall was painstakingly disassembled, and there were 417 bricks in it. Each was numbered and packed in sequence like they were fine china. It's reported they filled seven barrels. Shortly after that, Mr. Patey will reconstruct the wall, billing it as a touring anti-crime monument. But he tried to put it at a shopping center one time, and, and the public up in Canada said, you know, we don't want to see that. And actually, the government banned this touring monument. So then he took it to something called the Pacific National Exhibition in Vancouver, British Columbia. But people didn't want to see it there, and they didn't want to display it. Finally, he offered it as as a main draw for a crime museum in British Columbia, but the museum failed. In 1972, he opened a nightclub with a Roaring Twenties theme called the Banjo Palace. That was up in Vancouver. He rebuilt the wall, at least with some of the bricks, in the men's restroom. He put a sheet of glass over it and had it installed as a urinal. He put a sign above the bricks that said, Piss on it. It's history down the drain. He was later quoted as saying we had to start a ladies' night on Mondays and Tuesdays in the men's room. But on some nights, the women got so excited about seeing the wall, they went right in there while the men were using it. And that would be interesting, especially back in those days. Now, today, that when men and women using the same bathroom is not that big a deal, I think, as some of these clubs. He later closed the club, and he just had the bricks stored. When he counted them as he was storing them, he found that seven bricks were missing. Now, what happened to those seven bricks is a mystery to this day. But during these times, he had been selling some of those bricks, too. Over these years, Mr. Patey became a, a, a historian as far as the murder wall concerned, as he was searching around for the missing bricks. He said he was originally told when he first bought the wall that the bricks had been taken by the police as evidence because they had bullets that were lodged in them. When the Chicago Tribune got on this case, they searched police records for the missing bricks. No police department inventory records could be found to indicate that the investigators removed any bricks from the wall. They checked a warehouse that was used by the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office where they stored outdated files and any evidence they might want to hang on to that were found on bodies. Couldn't find the bricks anywhere or any record that they were ever stored there, which doesn't make sense anyhow. 
if there'd be anywhere, they would be in the police evidentiary locker room. And, and if uh, if they were in the Cook County Sheriff's Office or the Chicago PD, and all of a sudden they realized these missing bricks had some kind of value, I got a feeling that they didn't last very long there. But apparently they were never there because police property rooms are pretty diligent on keeping records. You got to work on uh, on uh, destroying all records that something was ever in there. Not to say something doesn't get stolen out of there every once in a while, but usually it's something stolen that nobody's ever going to miss anyhow. Nobody's ever going to check on. Or like in the case of the heroin in uh, New York City, the French Connection heroin, you just replace it with some white powder. Nobody will ever know, although somehow they did figure that one out. I need to do a story on the uh, case of the missing uh, French Connection heroin. It's an interesting story, I understand. Patey said that he had heard they might have been taken during the filming of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. I guess they used uh, the actual garage at the time. This was a movie starring Jason Robards and George Siegel, filmed in 1967. They actually went to George Siegel's agent and asked if he had been given any of the bricks, and he denied that he'd ever owned such a brick. Haiti considered taking the wall back out on tour or selling it brick by brick, and he did sell a few at the time, I found out. Now, let's listen to what Jeff Schumacher, the Mob Museum, has to say about how they obtained the bricks. Jeff, tell, tell me what you know about how they ended up with that wall or those bricks. Absolutely. Well, you know, first of all, this, uh, this building where the massacre occurred uh, in Chicago um, was kind of a tourist attraction for a while after the after the massacre. You know, there was no signs, you know, anything like that, but people liked to drive by it. Uh, but, you know, Chicago's not a city that's particularly proud of its uh, organized crime history. And so in 1967, they decided to demolish the building. And when they did that, a man named George Patey uh, heard about it. He lived in Vancouver, British Columbia, but he had heard about plans to demolish this building and he wanted he had an idea he wanted to collect the bricks from the wall against which these uh these men were shot dead so he uh contacted uh, richard daly the uh, mayor of chicago and said he wanted these bricks and the mayor forwarded him to a company called national wrecking company and national wrecking company made a deal with Patey uh so that he could acquire the bricks so when they tore down the building National Wrecking Company collected the bricks, uh, numbered them and lettered them so they could be put back together in the right order, and uh, ultimately Patey bought them. Now, what he wanted to do with them is, I don't think was entirely clear at first. I think he wanted to make money off them, but he had some bad luck along the way. He tried to put them in a, you know, like in a, in a nightclub. That didn't work very well. He wanted to have a museum, like a crime museum, but the uh, community in which he lived weren't, wasn't too interested in that. So for him, it, the, the bricks never really worked out. So uh, when uh, when they made that display, that was uh, the George, I can't remember, what were the name of the people? Name the name of the people, and, and do you know if they had anything in mind about, you know, how they did that particular display? To, did, they, did they work for a, uh, an effect there, or do you know? Well, you know, what we, what we wanted to do with the massacre wall display was to uh, put, the, put the bricks back in place the way they were originally. In other words, um, you know, the brick, we don't obviously have the entire wall. We have the, the bricks that George Petey recovered uh, were about 
you know, seven feet by 11 feet uh, of that wall. And there were, po- you know, bullet pockmarks in some of the bricks. And they wanted to show the pockmarks in the bricks, and they also wanted the bricks to be in the right order. So very meticulously, these bricks were put that back together uh, and, you know, with some uh, what looks like, you know, the putty that goes between bricks, uh, um, separating them. And we really wanted to have the effect that you are there, that this wall, it looks exactly as it did to these victims of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Well, I, I think I think you uh, affected that. You got you you did a good job. They are that. I think their name is Barry. They were pretty competent yeah, people that put that together. They did the uh, rock yeah. and roll museum too. I understand. Yeah, yeah. The original carriers were uh, were the Berries, and they have been involved in a number of uh, different museums around the country, and they did a real nice job uh, with the first iteration of our museum. We've obviously made changes since then, but. But uh, the the wall is exactly as they designed it originally. Oh, there there's other bricks out there. Have you ever have you you guys ever get contacted by anybody wanting to sell a brick, or have you heard anything about those yeah. other bricks? You have any idea how many there are? It sounds like there's quite a few, really. Well, we uh, we know that uh, at when his idea to have the wall be a, a tourist attraction didn't work out, that George Patey sold off a number of the bricks individually to collectors. And we don't know exactly how many are out there, but it's probably on the order of 50 or so. I, that'd be my guess, maybe a little more. Uh, we have recovered a couple of them. So we've, we've uh, reacquired the bricks that, that should be with the ones that we have. Uh, but there are still many of them out there that uh, are, are uh, out loose and, and ought to be come back with us at some point. Are, are there any particular markings? If a person had a brick laying around and, and somebody, their, their great-grandpa or their grandpa claimed that that was from that wall, is there any particular markings that were indelible that a person might see on those bricks? Well, first thing about the bricks that are out there in circulation, there are, we have also been offered fake bricks. Um, How bad? Things that are clearly, clearly not, <laughs> not the original bricks. But we uh, also, uh, when Patey uh, sold these bricks, he was very meticulous about uh, providing the paperwork with images showing uh, the bricks that he sold and, um, uh, and and showing what the markings were on those bricks. So we feel like there's a way to distinguish the real ones from the fake ones. Cool. So, uh, you know, uh, they report in this one article I read that people that have those individual bricks sometimes come to, to a bad end, have bad luck. <laughs> have you heard anything like that? I have, I have not heard about individual cases. Uh, uh, however, I, I, I really can go back to George Patey, the person who had the bricks the longest and he never could, uh, it was almost as if these bricks for him were cursed because each each entrepreneurial idea that he had uh, did not did not come to fruition. It it just the bricks didn't work for him. They worked tremendously well for the Mob Museum. You know, people will come from all over the globe to come see our wall. Uh, but so we haven't had any uh, any ill uh, effects from the bricks. But perhaps uh, perhaps some of the individuals uh, have other stories to tell. 
Interesting. Now, uh, I know I've been out there, and I know in that particular area, it's real dark in that area. It's, it's almost kind of spooky. You kind of create an atmosphere, and, and incidentally, by the way, you do have some great displays in that place. Uh, but does, uh, has there ever been any guests reported any kind of apparitions or any, any strange occurrences around the, the wall? Well, I will tell you that, uh, first of all, that I personally have never uh, had anything like that happen around me, but I'm a bit of a skeptic. I will tell you that we have had staff members, uh, in particular, who have expressed, uh, you know, feelings that there's something, you know, maybe ghosts, maybe other things in our in our building, and uh, including associated with the wall. I can report that that's happened. I can't verify them, however. Yeah. Well, that that's pretty interesting. That kind of lines with uh, with this article I found about it, and, and what my research has found. Uh, what I find it interesting is uh, there may have been some apparitions around that. Some of the uh, staff has reported some kind of strange things in the in the museum. Uh, Patey once pointed out an interesting series of events in The Mystery of the Seven Bricks. Seven men were lined up against the wall and shot to death. When the wall was torn down, it fit nicely into just seven barrels, with exactly seven bricks are missing. I mean, you know, woo who knows? Uh, it's kind of a stretch, ain't it? And just like uh, Jeff Schumacher said, we've learned Mr. Patey did sell a few of those bricks, and he got a 1000 bucks each for them. Uh, he would include a written account of the massacre and a letter of authenticity. Pretty soon, he found he was getting back as many as he sold, he found out. It seems that anyone who bought one of these bricks was suddenly stricken with bad luck in the form of illness, financial ruin, divorce, or even death. According to these stories, the bricks had somehow been infused or infested with powerful negative energy of the massacre. According to a Canadian man named Guy Whitford, Things may not be just as a legend has them. He claims that George Patey never sold a brick. So the question is, where are those missing bricks? Are they really missing? Do they bring bad luck to anybody that got them? They certainly, the wall did not bring George Patey good luck, but it has brought pretty good luck to the mob museum, as you heard Mr. Schumacher say. That particular display is probably one of the most popular in the museum. There's little doubt about the site on Clark Street itself, and you guys that live up in Chicago, you need to swing by there and see if you uh, feel any bad vibes. It's at 2122 North Clark Street. Give that address one last time there. It's now marked by a fenced lawn and five trees. center tree of those five trees marks the exact spot where the wall was where Bugsy Moran's men were standing up against when they were killed. Passerbys, they say, often report strange sounds and an indescribable feeling of fear as they walk past. People that pass by with dogs report strangeness too. The animals, as you know, dogs will sense things that people won't. And the animals are especially bothered by this little piece of lawn and those trees. I bet they don't run over and pee on those trees. And you guys got a dog, take it out for a walk and take it up there and, and, and see what the dog does when you walk by that and report back to us. This writer claims that uh, there's barking and howling or whining in fear. And, you know, it's uh, dogs can tell stuff that people can't. 
supposedly there are sounds of screams and even machine guns late at night. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, you guys, you you guys that live in Chicago need to go by there and especially go by there sometime at night and, and see what happens. Or go or wait till this coming. I think it's February the fourteenth. Will be the nineteen twenty nine. Let's see. We we served our search warrants on the uh, outfit guys for the skimming, and this was in connection with the Chicago outfit, of course. Uh, skimming from Las Vegas casinos on February the fourteenth, nineteen seventy nine, fifty years to the day after the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Uh, so that was uh, this is twenty twenty. God, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know how long. I can't figure that stuff out in my head. You figure it out. How long ago was the St. Valentine's Day massacre? A lot of you guys are good with numbers in your head. So that ends the story of the St. Valentine's Day massacre brick wall. And happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey. Casey.